Um, but I actually grew up in a small little Lutheran country church in southern Minnesota. Um, it was related to half of the church. It was family in every way. And uh, I just have such fond memories of there. More recently, I've actually gone back. Uh, it was a, originally a Norwegian immigrant Lutheran church in the 1800s. And so the last couple of years, uh, this is another story, but I've gone back to Norway a couple of times, reconnected with ancestral sites, um, visited a church, so it's like a mirror image of the church that I grew up in, including the cemetery and all the names there, and reconnected with family members. So uh, my Norwegian heritage, along with the Lutheran church I grew up in, are very much um, connected for me and something I feel very deeply. So thank you for the inv um, invite to be here. Uh, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about climate change through um, this Exodus narrative. This is something that, for me, I've really started to wrestle with a lot. I'd say the last five, six, seven years. Part of that, for me, is my experience growing up in southern Minnesota, growing up on a farm, the family farm, and not being interested in farming, leaving the farm, and slowly coming back to it, actually, as I started to understand what is happening in our world, what is happening environmentally. Uh, recognizing some of what was happening to the land uh, that I grew up on in southern Minnesota and feeling a connection to that. So I actually go down to the farm uh, weekly right now and do some work uh, with the soil and the water and trying to do some regenerative work to heal um, some of that space, which is also um, part of the work that I do up here at the church as well. So I'm doing a number of different things. The story, the Exodus narrative, this for me uh, is the center of the whole Bible. When I explain the biblical story to people, I always start with Exodus. This is something I've learned from the black church, because if you know anything about the history of the black church in this country, they read the Exodus account, and in the Exodus, they recognized their own story. And so this became the central lens through which the rest of Scripture was read. For a lot of us, we might start with the Apostle Paul or various parts of the Gospels, um, but the black church starts with Exodus, and I think there's a lot of wisdom and insight to that. Uh, appreciate um, Pastor Scott's summary of the um, Exodus story. The, the core thing is that the people were crying out under the yoke of their oppression and slavery. They had a taskmaster set over them, we read in Exodus 1. Uh, they ask for, they don't even ask right away for liberation, they just ask, can we go and practice our own ceremonies, our own festivals out in the wilderness? Just give us that amount of space. And Pharaoh, the leader of that time, we don't even know his name. The text just says Pharaoh. This nameless figure says no. In fact, since you asked for that, uh, I'm going to make you do more work with even less straw, build more bricks with less straw. So he makes the labor more onerous. And the story, as we know, there's a series of plagues, and the people are delivered, and then we have the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I used to, when I would read the story, um, skip over the account of the plagues mostly. Like, I knew that um, God had uh, sent creation against Pharaoh to liberate the people. But I have come back to that more recently and come to see that this is actually a really critical central part of the text and one that speaks powerfully for us today. Climate in the Bible is always political. That is, if the people are behaving badly, then climate, on behalf of God, responds and punishes the people or the political leaders who are behaving so poorly. I think uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. 
But part of it, what I have come to understand is that these stories are not just magical, mythological, they might actually be grounded in something, uh, some deeper sort of reality. When you study the history of the Middle East, if you go back even pre-biblical stories, Mesopotamia, some of the earliest civilizations that emerge, they rise up, and how do these civilizations emerge? They dig canals. They learn to harness the power of the waters, the two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, but they need labor, so they do forced labor. They do slavery. And then eventually, the land can't bear the weight after so many generations, and the soil collapses. It becomes too salty, salinization, and the civilizations collapse. Creation revolts against what has been done to the land and to the people. And there's similar stories throughout the Middle East, the Fertile Crescent, where these civilizations emerge, including in Egypt, on the other side of the Fertile Crescent. And I have a feeling that in this text, we are reading one of those early accounts about creation's revolt and the people's understanding about how God is coming to their aid to lead them on liberation with what Egypt and what these rulers have done to creation. So briefly, what are we seeing here as the waters turn red and Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go? It says, the Nile is turned to blood and the fish in the river shall die and the river shall stink and the Egyptians shall, not be, un- shall be unable to drink the water. The rivers, canals, ponds, pools of water. Um, some have speculated and there's actually been a lot of work done on this scientifically too is that at this time, There's such a thing called burgundy blood algae when there's warming waters where the water through algae growth and algae bloom can actually turn blood red. If you look it up, it looks like the rivers have become blood. And when you have algae blooms like that, you have fish die off. And then you have this whole cascading sort of effects. The frogs uh, will die or escape or go elsewhere and pretty soon you have an insect invasion, and then you have livestock diseases, and you have epidemics spread, and you have these cascading series of events that we're reading about in these plagues uh, that take over Egypt. Creation is revolting against an unnatural way of living on that land. And in the process, the people who have been enslaved to do Pharaoh's work and labor to build these supply cities of grain for Pharaoh, uh, even though Pharaoh's heart hardens and says, no, he goes back into his home, he's not going to let them go, we know at the end that the people are liberated. Creation revolts and the people are liberated. What does this have to do with us today? I would, you know, when we hear about climate change, and I know there's so many stories out there, right? there are news reports daily, and it becomes overwhelming. Uh, the big one is uh, the release of carbon, and has to do with fossil fuels. And um, you, you may be talking about this on Wednesday, the need to sequester carbon, to get it back into the ground, and also to limit our use of fossil fuels because of the warming temperatures and the warming ocean and the melting ice caps and the the wildfires and the more intense storms, all of this, we are starting to see signs right now globally of creation revolting. Creation responding to bring things back to some sort of ecological balance. Central to this, in the middle of this, is water. And that's why I chose this text today. So 
we can focus at the big picture, which scientists are doing and what's going on with the release of carbon and rising temperatures. But another one is what is happening to our local ecosystems? This is what drew me back to the farm uh, to do some work there and to focus on the water. You see, I grew up on, um, I just thought it was farmland. Only later did I realize that the land that my family has farmed uh, was formerly Lake Ozatanka. And in the early 1900s, this two-mile-long, two-mile-wide lake was dredged and drained for farmland. And so I actually grew up in an old lake bottom. And I can read the old accounts of the diversity of wildlife and the ducks and the fish and everything that was present there. Now it's just, uh, it's pretty quiet. It's, it's just fields. The, the 21st century, people have said, is going to be a century of water wars because of what we have done to our wetlands. We have dredged and drained them because of the ways that we have polluted our water systems. And when the water cycle breaks, then there's a whole series of cascading events just like we read about in Exodus. The um, ability of land to support life depends on water. This is something that I've also learned from our local um, indigenous elders in this region who have always known and emphasized that water is life, Miniwachoni. And some of us have spent time with them out at Standing Rock as they sought to protect their own waters. And from that, learned about the need to protect the health of our own watersheds. A few years ago, I organized a conference around um, healing the um, Upper Mississippi watershed and doing this out of our biblical faith. And so when we read this story through this lens... We start to see, we always have to locate ourselves in these stories as we're reading them. Who are we in this narrative? And we can see ourselves as the Hebrew people maybe once in a while um, who are looking for some sort of liberation. But there is another side of it where if we look closely, we are actually Egypt in this story. Because when we look at what's happening globally and we learn that we are 4% of the global population and we consume 30 plus percent of the world's resources, we recognize that something is a little bit off. I was at the World Council of Churches in Pusan, South Korea a few years ago, and they were focusing on climate. And it was a little uncomfortable uh, to be an American sitting there in this conversation because the island nations and everybody was trying to, to draw attention to what is happening to the climate and what is happening to these islands and what is happening to these different parts of the world, the rising temperatures and how farmers cannot farm anymore because their crops won't grow. And they were trying to help us see we need to pay attention to, the way, to our way of life and the way that it is causing these forces around the world. There is ecological blowback. Creation is revolting. Water. I'm going to wrap up with this and a few things that we're doing in our congregation and a few things that I'm focused on right now at the farm. It was just ways to think about this. We know that a water cycle is kept intact through forests. Forests literally call the rain. And then they, they help sequester, they, they help to infiltrate the water into our aquifers and our water system. And they also help to release through evaporation water back, and so it brings the rain. That's why where you have a lot of forests, like in the Amazon, they're rainforests. And we live amidst, amidst deforestation, both in this land and it continues to happen, as in the Amazon right now. How can we... Um, encourage uh, planting of trees, not just for carbon sequestration, which is critical, but for the health of our water. 
Wetlands. You know, in southern Minnesota, where I'm from, more than 90% of the wetlands were dredged and drained. Lake Ozatanka is just one of them, but everywhere. And now we recognize how critical they are ecologically. And there's work to be, try to bring these wetlands back uh, so that they can help to filter our water and to infiltrate it in the ground. And finally, agriculture and lawn chemicals. What we're seeing here um, in, uh, in this Exodus story of possibly a massive algae bloom across the water that is causing life to die is actually happening in our lakes and rivers and streams. The dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, when we, when we use nitrogen and phosphorus sort of chemicals and fertilizers, that ends up in our waterways. And that causes algae to explode and to bloom on the surface because it's just too much um, good, uh, good nutrients. And when that blooms, all the life underneath dies because it becomes dark and the oxygen cannot get in there. And so we create dead zones. In southern Minnesota right now, as a result of um, all these chemicals and fertilizers, when I go down to the farm, I don't drink out of the faucet. We buy water from the store and we bring it to the house because of the polluted um, wells that is present there through all of this. So how do we support the healing of our waterways, which will facilitate the healing of the land? This past summer in our church, I led a large project, we called it a permaculture project, and that is to focus on what we can take responsibility for. We overlooked Silver Lake up there in Columbia Heights, and so we started to, we, we quit using any chemicals, fertilizers, we, uh, we redid our ground cover, um, fescue and clover, that would have deeper roots and help the water to infiltrate. We planted a lot of trees. We planted pollinator plants to bring in the butterflies and the bees, and we dug swales so that the water would flow through the property and would have a chance to sink in, to infiltrate, and to be cleansed as it moves through before it goes down the hill into our lake. This is one way. This is not for us just a sort of gardening or some little hobby. It's a way of taking stories like this seriously. How do we recognize the way that uh, climate, local ecosystems, even in biblical times, started to collapse because of the ways the people related to it. And how do we join the history of God's people in caring for the land, stewarding, for, stewarding the land, and at the same time as we support these regenerative projects in agriculture or on our own properties, learning how to heal the water that flows through, regenerate the soil, bring health and vitality back to our ecosystems, how do we then also care for, like the ancient Hebrew people, those, how do we learn to advocate for and care for those who are displaced by these climate events? These things are together, they go hand in hand, and this is the work that I'm arguing, what I'm learning through my own ministry um, at Church of All Nations. This is the work of the people of God in our world today. Amen? Please pray with me. Creator God, we give you thanks for these stories, these ancient narratives that continue to speak powerfully to us today. Lord, let us learn from this story about ancient Egypt, follow the witness of the Hebrew people who cry out, let my people go. Connected to that is let creation go. And follow creation as it fights for its own survival to be liberated, to flourish so that it can not only live but give life to all.
We lift up our, ecos our local ecosystems and pray that we might be healers, regenerators, bringing life back to the soil and water um, as a part of our living witness and call as your people. In your name, amen.